3,000 years ago, the gods of materialism and consumerism raged as wildly as they do today, reaping real and tangible havoc in people's lives. A little-known contributor to the book of Proverbs named Agur understood this threat to his own life and sought remedy at the throne of the Almighty. Agur voices a prayer containing 65 words that fly in the face of our consumer-driven American lifestyle. Understanding the danger of living an extreme life, he makes a divine request not often heard today. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Agur drew a financial line in the sand and said, enough is enough. His prayer rings with rare contentment and a desire for a middle-class life. Are you a content worshiper? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Hello, welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis and thanks for tuning in. Well, other than Jesus, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. So when he talks about learning to be content, we would do well to listen. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do today, to listen as Ron talks about what it means to be content in all things. Stay right here or listen on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, and the new Something Good Digital Library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. And now from Proverbs chapter 30, Here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, The Content Worshiper. Didn't Jesus tell us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread? Hold your place here in Proverbs and turn with me to uh, Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37, and the psalmist says these words, In verse 25, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Here's the promise you can go to the bank on in Scripture. You put God first in your finances. You honor him with your wealth. You give as an act of worship from a content heart. God will take care of you. You'll never have to beg for bread Give me neither poverty nor wealth, but give me only my my daily bread. there's There's a contentment there. He says, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? That's that's the danger of abundance, isn't it? There are two tests in life. There's the test of adversity. We all understand the test of adversity. There's also the test of prosperity. Have you become so prosperous that ah, you're just not as dependent on the Lord as you used to be? Your prayers are not as powerful and as dependent upon the Lord because you've reached a certain level of prosperity and, you know, you've done the calculations, you've looked out into the future, and, you know, if your investments just grow, you're just fine. I think we're going to make it, honey. And that sense of dependence upon the Lord has gone away. You failed the test of prosperity. 
He says, or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Uh, Agur didn't want to have to go to the soup kitchen to find his daily meal, but he, he didn't want soup du jour either. He was content somewhere in the middle. Lord, just don't give me a reason to not be dependent upon you anymore and to walk on my knees in humble, dependent worship upon you. But, but don't, don't put me in a position where I, I, I question your goodness and whether you can take care of me. I, I, I say it's the attitude of a, of a content, content purpose, person. Um, there's an old comedy film called Cool Runnings, and it's about uh, the first Jamaican bobsled team to represent their, company, or their country in the Olympics. Uh, the actor John Candy, the late comedian actor, was uh, the starring role in it, and he plays a former uh, American gold medalist who becomes uh, the coach of the Jamaican team. In fact, they respect him so much because he won a gold medal in the bobsled as an American, that when he becomes the coach of the Jamaican team, they affectionately refer to him as the sled god. <laughs> I like that. Well, late in the story, the coach's dark history comes out. Apparently in the Olympics um, that he participated in and following his gold medal performance, uh, the coach apparently, it was learned, uh, broke the rules and he weighted his sled, giving it a strategic advantage and he was able to go faster, and that's how he won the gold. Well, he brought disgrace upon himself and upon the American team, so the story goes in the film. When asked by the Jamaicans why he cheated, the coach said, I had to win. I learned something. If you're not happy without a gold medal, you won't be happy with one. He, he, was, he had never found that, that place of contentment in his life. True happiness and contentment was an elusive virtue for the sled god, we might say, as it is for so many people in our world today. To say that most Americans are lacking in contentment is a grand and glorious understatement. Our Madison Avenue culture programs us to compete and achieve and increase and reach for more of everything in life, to buy new, to get more, to trade up. And these are messages that bombard us every day from the advertising world, keeping up with the Joneses or the Smiths or the Browns. It's become a national pastime and part of what it means to chase the American dream. But all of that, that clutter in our heart crowds out the contentment that is required to be a true worshiper of God. Remember, Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, and you can't worship God and money at the same time. Contentment is about as appealing to adults as um, eating your vegetables is for a child. And uh, that's, that's kind of how we, we come at a subject like this. The great novelist John Steinbeck wrote a book appropriately titled The Winter of Our Discontent. And every time I think about that title, I think, how strange that he didn't call it the spring of our discontent or the summer of our discontent. Instead, he chose the season of the year that best represents the condition of our heart when we lack contentment. In the absence of contentment, it's winter the frostiest season of the year that blankets our being. Siberia, we might say, smothers our soul. And discontent makes our heart grow colder toward God, not warmer in worship. And the bobsled 
coach in Cool Runnings uh, was living in Steinbeck's winter of discontent. What is contentment? Well, the Puritan writer Jeremy Burroughs said it this way. Listen to this. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Sounds like a Puritan, doesn't it? And it sounds a little heady and a little intellectual. Uh, Maybe another one from uh, a guy named Bill Gothard helps. He says, contentment is realizing that God has already given me everything I need for my present happiness. That's pretty good. Contentment is realizing that God has already given me everything I need for my present happiness. Gothard goes on to say, contentment is understanding that if I am not satisfied with what I have, I will never be satisfied with what I want. I kind of get the impression that the psalmist, King David, understood this because he penned this psalm that we all love, the most beloved psalm in the Psalter, Psalm 23, and David begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, finish it with me, I shall not want. How's your wanter? (laughs) Everybody has a wanter. I want this. I want that. Is the deepest desire of your heart a closer, more intimate relationship with God? Is your wanter all about becoming a true worshiper? Or, Or is your wanter all about the next thing you buy or you're saving for? Our wanter can get out of whack if we let it, and it can crowd out that that place where we worship God in spirit and in truth. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's a contentment there. He, He has satisfied everything that my soul desires, my good shepherd has. The Apostle Paul found contentment in some of the strangest places. In his second letter to the Corinthians, he writes, Therefore, I am well content with, listen to this, weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow, what a list of things for somebody to be content with. We probably wouldn't put them on our list. Paul also encouraged Timothy, his young protege in the ministry in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. The writer of Hebrews adds, Hebrews 13 and verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. I've said it before, but it's worth saying again, true financial freedom is free of debt, free from the love of money, right there, free to give generously and free to have fun. That's true financial freedom. Money is not the root of all evil, but the Bible says the love of money and the things that money can buy us, that's, that's the root of all kinds of evil. Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, The Content Worshiper. Remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry or to order selected resources, like the series you're hearing right now called True Worship. The entire audio download of this five-message series can be yours today for a gift to Something Good Radio. 
That's somethinggoodradio.org. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. Mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Or call our offices at 757-276-1099. And now here's Ron with the rest of today's message, The Content Worshipper. Paul wrote to the Philippians, listen to this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He says, I've had to learn this. That word learn suggests that contentment is not natural to us. Uh, We are unnaturally in our fallen state in the winter of discontent. And Paul says, but I I have learned in whatever circumstance I am to be content. He, He suggests that it was through the various circumstances of life that God taught him how to be content in whatever circumstance. He goes on to say, sometimes I prospered. Sometimes I had more than I needed. And, and I, I, I learned through the test of prosperity how to be content. Then there were times of adversity in my life, he says, and I, and I learned through even times of adversity how to be content. Through the laboratory of life, he learned contentment. Are you learning contentment? in whatever circumstances the Lord has you in right now. I remember when I was in high school, I took a chemistry class. My chemistry teacher, Mr. Buzzard, yes, that was his name, actually had a beak that kind of resembled a buzzard, and we had fun with that in high school. But uh, he was a great chemistry teacher, and on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, he lectured. And then on Tuesday and Thursday, we had a lab. And I learned back then that if you're going to learn chemistry, you learn some things through the lecture, you learn other things through the lab, right? And so it is with much in the Christian life, and so it is with with learning contentment. we We can stand up here and lecture and sermonize all day long about the importance of learning contentment, but it's really the laboratory of life that is going to seal the deal for us. And that's what Paul emphasizes here. He says, in whatever circumstances I was in, those were the circumstances, sometimes of prosperity, sometimes of adversity that I learned, he said, uh, to be content. And so it is with us. One other quick verse of Scripture on contentment, Luke chapter 3 and verse 14. These are the words of uh, John the baptizer. I love John the Baptist. Uh, he, he's just one of my, my favorite uh, characters in the Bible, sort of an odd for God guy, but always pointing people to Jesus. And he said to a, a group of soldiers, some Roman soldiers, who asked him, what shall we do? Now, you, you, you say we're to, we're to follow this Jesus. What do you want us to do? And John laid out in the context there some, some simple ethics, ways to, to live life. And he touches on their finances, and he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. You see, the soldiers were all about threats and false accusations. Remember Agur who says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. And here John is telling these soldiers, Don't do that. Don't act that way. That's not becoming of a follower of Jesus or a follower of mine for that matter. 
and be content with your wages. Now, contentment doesn't mean that you don't have any goals, you don't have any dreams, you don't have any aspirations that you're striving toward. I'm a goal-setting person. I'm, I have dreams, and, and, and I've had them for years. There was a time, though, where I wasn't very content, and my goals reflected it. A couple years out of college, I remember I, I had a good job out of college, and was kind of on the fake it till you make it plan, and I, I, I thought I'd go out there and buy a new car. I guess when you drive a Chevy Vega for seven years, three years in high school and four years in college, your wanter, you know, gets pointed in a different direction, and I bought a BMW, 24 years old. What BMW stood for me at that time was broke my wallet. I didn't know that, <laughs> but I came to learn that because I also came to learn through some adverse circumstances that involved the time that I crashed my BMW, that I was on the fake it till you make it plan, spending money I didn't have to buy things I couldn't afford to impress people who really didn't care. And the Lord had to teach me through that, okay? I'm at a stage in life now where I, I could probably afford to buy one, but I, buy, I drive a Toyota, okay? But... <laughs> Here's what I learned. I learned through those hard times and through some good times to be content. Wasn't always that way. I, I still have goals and I have dreams, just like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a goal-setting man. He had dreams. He had aspirations. There was a time that his highest aspiration was be become the Pharisee of Pharisees, to climb the religious ladder. And he climbed that ladder and he got to the top. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. He lays out his resume and his letter to the Philippians, and he says, I had everything. And then I met Jesus Christ. And he says, I took all of that, and I put it on the dung heap. That's what he says. Took it over to Mount Trashmore. That's where it belongs. And he says, now I press on toward the goal for the high calling of God in Jesus Christ, the upward call of Christ. He's still goal-oriented. He's still a go-get-em kind of guy. But his goals have changed. His dreams have changed. They've been shaped by kingdom priorities. And he's content in the material things of life. I've had more than I need. I've had less than I need. I've learned to be content in all circumstances, he says. What does this have to do with worship? I, I, we're, we're talking about being true worshipers. We'll never be generous givers, let alone true worshipers, without a measure of contentment in our heart. God will always bring us back to the foot of the cross where we have to die to certain things. And one of those is that tendency we have to worship money and the things that money can buy. Jesus made it the heart of the matter when he said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And so I think it's true to say when it comes to giving back to God as an act of worship, God doesn't want something from you. He really doesn't. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He wants something for you. He, he wants to pour himself and other means of blessings into your life, but he says, you can't 
worship God and money. The greatest antidote to materialism and to greed and envy and keeping up with whomever we're trying to keep up with, the greatest antidote to that is giving, giving to God first. I've found over the years it's real hard to be materialistic when I give to God first, but it resets my priorities. And in the process, the Lord has given us times of plenty and times of lack, times of prosperity and times, you know, of less than that. And there's a peaceful, satisfied contentment that comes over the heart of the true worshiper. In either of those extremes, or even in the place that you are right now, when we've learned contentment, when we've put God first and everything else in its proper place, uh, money can either possess you or you can possess it, and you can tell it where its proper place is. Money isn't evil. It's the love of money that crowds out the heart of a true worshiper and clutters up that place in our heart that rightfully belongs to Jesus and to Jesus alone. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, The Content Worshiper. Ron, a couple of quick things before we go. First, Let's talk a little further about genuine contentment and what it looks like. And second, how is contentment different from complacency? That's an interesting question, Brian. You know, those two things, contentment and complacency, may seem a bit closely related, but they are two very different things. For example, when you're complacent about something, when you take something or someone for granted, uh, not very often do you find yourself intentionally thanking God for that something or someone. Take your house, for example, or your job, or even your spouse. Uh, you take them for granted, possibly, and if you do, you will seldom bring them up when you're thanking God for his blessings. But if you're content with those things, that means you feel blessed to have what you have or thankful and satisfied, and very likely you bring them up in prayer fairly often. The thing about genuine contentment, Brian, is that it can drastically improve your relationship with God because when you're truly content, you'll spend a whole lot less time focusing on your desires and your wants and your will and a whole lot more time being thankful for what you have and seeking God's will. I've talked about this once or twice during the series, the idea of leaving the Garden of Eden and getting into the Garden of Gethsemane. Content worshipers are in Gethsemane. They may ask for a few wants, a few desires, but ultimately they land at the place where they would rather have God's will for them than have their will for themselves. And what a wonderful place that is to be. And the only way to get there is by choosing to be. Of course, the Holy Spirit will help you get there, and apart from Him, you really can't get there at all. But you ultimately have to choose it. Choose contentment. Choose joy. Choose true worship. Uh, there's no better place to be than right in the center of God's will. And when you surrender to it, when you say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, that's when you can find yourself right there. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts about contentment from his teaching series, True Worship. Ron, I'm really looking forward to your next series, which starts on Monday. It's called Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and the Return of Jesus Christ. If you would, give us a preview of where we're headed. 
You know, Brian, we're living in perilous times. The news is filled with stories of war and terrorism, economic turmoil, political strife, even earthquakes and other natural disasters. And if we're not careful, we'll let them create turmoil and unrest in our own hearts. Like other generations, ours wonders whether these could be the last days of planet Earth and whether the return of Jesus Christ is right around the corner. But we are not the first generation to wonder such things, and nor are we the first to experience a world that seems to be spinning out of control and into chaos. Starting Monday, I'll dive into the book of Revelation. Yes, the exciting, thrilling, mysterious book of Revelation, and try to unveil some of the mysteries surrounding the last days. It all starts on Monday, and I hope you'll join us. That's next time in Dr. Ranjan's message, Are We Living in the Last Days? The first message in Ron's series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Enjoy your holiday weekend, and thanks for listening.